up, everybody? Welcome to the Brady Quinn Football Show. Yeah, uh, with Will Brinson. With Will Brinson. Um, it is. It's a it's a fun uh, fun little Tuesday thing we do. Um, it is still the Pick Six Podcast. You can subscribe via iTunes. You can uh, Stitcher, tune in wherever. I think we're coming to Spotify at some point as well. You can follow Brady Quinn on Twitter at. 3rd underscore goal. That's third goal. You can follow me on Twitter at Will Brinson and the podcast. We post our weekly, uh, smack talk chats. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, it's basically Brady and I are the ones who create those. Um, and you can check those out on Twitter at pick six pod. Uh, Brady doesn't know what I'm talking about, but you can play along. Um, no idea. I know. That's great. Uh, all right. So very quickly, we will talk about the Monday night football game that as we're recording this, is just about over. The Tennessee Titans are wrapping things up, twenty-eight to fourteen. They got the ball. I mean, the Cowboys have timeouts, but I mean, this game is—it's uh, just a matter of it, it, will there be a garbage time touchdown for one of these teams? Uh, humiliating effort for the Cowboys, right? I mean, I—I I, I don't see how you can show up after a bye, having traded for Amari Cooper, playing against a Tennessee team that has lost three straight games, um, including one to the Buffalo Bills, one getting skunked by the Ravens and one where they went for a two point, uh, conversion, uh, overseas two weeks ago. It's the Chargers to, to win the game and didn't get it. Uh, they lost three straight games. They come in there and Dallas got gifted like three or two or three fumbles inside the, inside the Titans red zone and came away with what seven points. It's just a, just a bad all around effort. And it makes you wonder if Jerry Jones is finally getting to the point where he will fire Jason Garrett. Yeah, I think we're, we're we're kind of venturing into that territory. Look, this is a Dallas Cowboys team that, you know, really coming into this matchup, put its best football at home. Dak Prescott, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, that changed tonight on Monday Night Football through an interception. Um, you know, played okay, uh, maybe just good enough. And maybe that's what Jason Garrett's kind of been as the Dallas Cowboys head coach, just good enough at times. And that's really one of the reasons why he's kind of hung around. But this was a very poor performance by the team. I know both teams are coming off the bye. But this Tennessee Titans team, um, they, they surprise you from time to time because they do have some pieces. And when they put it all together, they can play anyone tough. But this is a team that the Dallas Cowboys should beat. If they had any aspirations of trying to win the division um, and trying to do something in regards to making a move for the playoffs, th- this is a team you should be able to beat at home. And that wasn't the case. Um, they couldn't, as you noted, couldn't capitalize off of turnovers. Uh, their defense gave up 240 yards passing uh, to Marcus Mariota. They sacked him a number of times. Uh, but for the most part, um, they allowed him to get outside the pocket. He escaped for a rushing touchdown in the red zone once. And then also he's pretty efficient through, through the air, something that we really hadn't seen. So uh, overall, a pretty poor, poor performance. And I think this is probably the beginning of the end. Uh, to Jason Garrett's time in Dallas. I would agree with you. And uh, I w- w- two more notes I will make about this game that we can quit talking about it. Um, one, Dion Lewis, I thought they finally, the Titans finally started using him as the feature back. Uh, Derrick Henry only got six carries, one of which was on the one-yard line. He punched it in for a touchdown. Um, the other was uh, shortly thereafter. And then the other four were sort of once the, once the Titans got up and were trying to be a physical downhill team. They clearly wanted to involve Lewis more. 19 carries, 62 yards, and uh, four catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown uh, yeah. reception as well. And then for the Cowboys, the schedule here, Brady, moving forward, uh, it's it's bad at the Eagles Brutal. at the Eagles on Sunday night next week um, at the Falcons the week after that then the Redskins at home 
then the Saints at home on a short week, then the Eagles at home. And so, I mean, if you can go three and two in that stretch and you can get to six and eight, maybe you can win your last three games. I don't know. I, I, I don't, is that, is that, did I do the math right there? Whatever it is. No, I, mean, I don't think so. I don't think I, I don't think I did either. How, how did I do that? How did I do that math so poorly? That's terrible. It's okay. You're an English major anyway, right? Yeah, are they not three and five? Oh yeah. So I guess that would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, all right. So you'd be six and seven. You could win out your last three games and get to nine and seven and maybe have some kind of backdoor shot at the playoffs. I mean, but that's asking a lot. Three and two would be a really good performance against those five teams. Uh, if you go, if you go anything worse, you're probably done. And that probably means Jason Garrett is going to get fired. Cowboys can be an interesting team to watch this offseason. Let's talk about well, uh, uh, hold on quickly. I mean, sure. first off, nine and seven, they ain't getting in. I don't, they, have I don't to, think so. they have to win the division. I don't think They're so. not going to get in as a wild card team at nine and seven. So that's the first issue with it. The schedule's too tough. Uh, the only saving grace is here. If you're looking towards the future, they did give up a first round pick for Amari Cooper. They targeted him the most tonight. He ended up being the leading receiver. He had a touchdown. Uh, it seems like he can maybe resurrect his career in Dallas. That is the one saving grace for the Dallas Cowboys as far as their Monday night performance. Yeah, and and when you lose the next uh, six games, you, you're giving up a top five pick for Amari Cooper. So you got that going for you. Um, what about the uh, Saints and the Rams? Are the Saints the best team in football now? I think right now they are, and and having the opportunity to play the Rams at home to me had a pretty big deal. Uh, it mattered a lot in that matchup. But uh, I think the Rams are a team that, you know, the Saints are starting to play their best football because their defense has continually improved. You know, P.J. Williams a couple weeks ago, he got defense player of the week, but it was really just for like a pick six. Other than that, he kind of got picked on a decent <laughs> amount uh, in that game two weeks ago. This past week, I thought he played a lot better, and as did Eli Apple, as did the rest of the secondary for the Saints. So, to me, one of the reasons why I think the Saints are so dangerous is because their defense has improved, whereas we've always known their offense has been good, and they've, they've had a, a good rushing attack. Kamara's been a tough matchup for anyone. Michael Thomas has been unstoppable, um, and, and their offensive line has improved. But I, I, I kind of came away from that game more concerned with the Rams and really their issues defensively mm, yes. because they couldn't get any pressure on Drew Brees. Again, credit the Saints O-line, but the addition of Dante Fowler didn't help. Um, they, they can't get any of the, the outside edge pressure. And Marcus Peters, who is their best cornerback, really struggled. I mean, that one time he looked distracted trying to communicate. Michael Thomas beats him off the ball. There's no safety help. Boom. There's a touchdown. It happens that quick. Um, that, that's, that's concerning moving forward. If you're the Rams, and they've obviously got to play a really good football team here in a couple weeks, uh, you can't afford to make these mistakes. They need a key to lead back. They need Dante Fowler to turn into the guy that he was drafted to be of the Jacksonville Jaguars now in their roster. Um, they need all those things to happen, I think, if they want to be a team that has a chance of winning a Super Bowl. Isn't that wild that um, they were the last undefeated team 24 hours ago? Or 48 hours ago, I guess, for the purposes of this podcast. Uh, you know, 48 hours ago, they're the last undefeated team, and uh, they're favored going into New Orleans, and now it's like, yeah, you know what? They might have some serious red flags. It, 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 I mean, I, not like... We're trying to pick up the Rams because they lost one game, but I think it speaks so much to just the way that NFL seasons work. I mean, you can start 8-0, and and it's great, and you're going to make the playoffs, but if you lose your identity and you don't have that defensive presence and you don't have that pass rush and you don't have the guys in the secondary, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter how good your offense is, especially in 2018 because there are so many other teams that can score. Um, you know, and the Rams, you know, they're not, they're not, they sh- they're going to win the division. 
but you know they're not going to they're not coasting to home field advantage or anything from here on out. No, and and, and you know I think the Saints are a team that actually you know they they almost have to keep improving. They they almost mm. have to you know be in the position right now um, where their defense has to step up, and their offense has to play at this level because. They can't afford to drop any games. Carolina's nipping at their heels. Mm-hmm. That's a team that's been really hot right now that no one wants to talk about or give much attention to Cam Newton, but he is a legitimate MVP candidate. We need to start talking about that. And the Atlanta Falcons, you know, they're not dead yet. They're a team that they're going to have an opportunity because of their schedule. Granted, some tough games, but because of their schedule, they can work their, their way back in the NFC South, and their defense, I think, has corrected some of the issues that they had on defense due to injury. Now those now those players are more experienced. They're working better together, in, in particular in the back end. And now that's a better football team. So the Saints, uh, they may be the top of the team in the NFC right now, but they have to be because they can't afford to drop it against. There's really no room for error with the NFC South. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you that. What do you? How would you rank if I give you uh, four? Second, I'm gonna, call, I'm gonna call them second tier for lack of a better phrase, but like, cause I think, I think the Saints and the Rams are in that top, top tier alone right now, just because of, you know, how they play. They played each other, uh, close games, beating everybody else. Um, how would you rank the Vikings, Panthers, Bears, and Falcons in terms of that next level of, of NFC contenders? And feel free to throw anybody else in there. Those are just the four that popped to my mind. Yeah, I would throw Green Bay in there as well. Sure. Um, they're, they're another team I throw into consideration. I, I can't take Chicago seriously. I just can't. Wow. I know they're at the top of the division right now, and that's going to upset some people. I just think that the second half of the season, um, as good as their defense is, we're going to kind of start to see them wither away a little bit, and we're going to see the cream, cream rise to the top. That, that's just how I feel. So if I'm looking at teams to potentially make a run, obviously Carolina's in a great position right now. Minnesota's in a good position. Th- those, those two teams right now have the edge. And, you know, Seattle well, let me, not let, to sleep on either. But I want to, yeah, I agree on Seattle. I want to ask you a little bit more about the Bears really quickly because I know that you didn't like Chicago coming in. Do you – is this a, like, I'm sticking by my guns type of thing with I don't think Chicago would be good? Or is this what you've seen from Chicago is just not, like, like offensively they don't have the, the firepower to stick with everybody else or defensively they're not deep enough? Like, like what is it specifically that makes you not want to take them seriously? Uh, who do you feel like they've really beat? Um, I mean, let, let's be honest. They they beat a Seattle Seahawks team that at that point in time of the season was not very good. Like, the Seahawks are playing better football now, even though they just lost to the Chargers. They beat the Jets. They beat the Bills. They beat the Cardinals. They beat the Bucks. Mm. Those are their wins beside the Seahawks. Mm. Mm. I mean, let, let's be honest. Who have they beat? <laughs> Make a fair point, and Brady. <laughs> so, like, like, when I look at this team – as much as you want to sit there and say, oh, they're at the top of the division, they haven't beat anyone. And their schedule sets up to where in the next three weeks, they play Detroit, then Minnesota, that'll be a tough game, then Detroit. And then after that, they play the Giants. Like, they got a really easy schedule. This team could win three of their next four because of their opponents. And I just look at them and I think it's all a product of their schedule. They're not that good. Mm. And, you know... Bears fans may be upset about me saying that. It's, it's just how I see this team right now. And if they do make it in the playoffs, to me, they'd be a one-and-done team. I haven't seen enough growth from Mitchell Trubisky. I don't know that you can look at their running game as you know overly consistent. I think Tariq Cohen's a mismatched nightmare. I like how Matt Nagy uses them. Uh, their, their passing game. I mean, it, it, they kind of live and die by Mitchell Trubisky, and he's just too inconsistent for me. 
And granted, their defense is good, but outside of that, you know, I just there's not a whole lot that you feel confident in. I think week in, week out, you can hang your hat on with the Chicago Bears. Yeah, and I mean, you can make the argument well, they should have beaten Green Bay, and that's fine, but they should have lost Arizona uh, in week three on right. the road. And but they, like again, if 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 you know, yeah. if my aunt had an Adams apple, right, she she'd be my uncle. So well, I don't like we can say that shoulda, woulda, coulda. I don't but, think that. You know. I don't think Anna, like anatomically that would qualify her as a, a man. But I see what you're saying. Well, I, I didn't want to go a different <laughs> I, I didn't feel like that was appropriate on a podcast. So I, I tried to keep it PC, unless you want me to go there. No, I mean, we can no, talk about no, no, no. you know the, the objects that get thrown in the field there in a new era field if you want. I wrote a story about that because the guy got arrested for it. And I was like, you know what? Actually, if you guys don't want to publish this, let me know. I'm fine. I don't. I don't. You know, I think it's fascinating is how far you have to throw those things just to get them like to get onto the field and get close to the field. Okay, for those, we, we can talk and about you it. have to think about it. you have to throw it while the ball's on that side of the field because you can't just waste it. I mean, you can't just waste one like when they're at the opposite end of the field. We're talking about uh, a dildo and a sex toy that's it's, being thrown It's called a dildo, but yeah, go ahead. A dildo? <laughs> it's called a dildo. How have I never heard that's, that before? <laughs> I have no idea. That's the official name for it. It's called a dildo. No, it's not. Is it really? It's legitimately called a dildo. I have no idea why no one else has realized that. <laughs> that's incredible. Okay, so do you think – What's the more convoluted part here, throwing it on the field um, and the timing involved in that and making sure you get a good throw? Because you've obviously been drinking while you're doing this. Uh, certainly yeah. nobody who's sober would take a buildo into the field. Um, or is the more complicated part getting it through security? Uh, well, that, uh, that is a loaded question, my friend, because there's, there's certain things that may need to take place in order to get through. Um, I, that would definitely be the most uh, most difficult part of the process, I would imagine. Uh, the throwing thing, I think, is easy once you get in there. I mean, everyone's cheering you on, and, and probably having a couple beers doesn't hurt because it helps you loosen up the arm even more so without any warm-ups. The biggest thing is just the technique. Uh, which end do you grab it by? When? How do you go about throwing it? I mean, you know, say you can't, you can't grab, you, you you don't grab a football in the meat of it. You know, you grab it more towards the end. That's probably what you're thinking here if you're throwing one of those things. That's, that's just my best guess. <laughs> we are definitely venturing off the. Um... Old beaten path, if you will. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Well done. Um, all right. I don't know. Okay, so here we're, talking the, we're talking about the Bears. Um, they haven't, you're right. They haven't beaten anybody. And, um, uh, I, I guess I take your point. And by the way, the headline tomorrow is, is going to be Brady Quinn colon, Bears haven't beat anyone, comma, Talks is Bilbo's. Um, that's the podcast post I'm going to write for tomorrow. Uh, all right. So the Bears are last in that group. Um, to, to I like the Vikings and the Panthers the best out of those uh, out of those teams, and I think for the very for like similar reasons, both the Vikings defense and the Panthers defense we thought were going to be good coming into this year. I can't believe I'm managing to, to veer this back into the same territory. Uh, but we thought, we thought they'd both be good defenses. They weren't great through the first, like, six weeks or so. And they finally started to come around a little bit. And then offensively, uh, Kirk Cousins is playing really well. And I, I've been writing about this for three weeks. I guess nobody's reading it or you're not reading it. But um, Cam Newton is a very much a viable MVP candidate. He's playing his ass off. Norv Turner is doing an incredible job designing this offense. It fits Cam's skill set. It fits the players around him. It fits the offensive line, and it's fun to watch. 
it's a ton of fun to watch. And when you talk about some of the top offenses in the NFL, right, we all talk about the Rams, we talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, we talk about the Saints. The Carolina Panthers, to me, are a team that should be considered in that conversation because of this. Each one of those teams I mentioned, they have players who are extremely versatile. And you can throw the Patriots, obviously, as well, too. We always tend to overlook them just because every year they do this. But they have players who are mismatches for the defensive personnel. And if you look at the Carolina Panthers, Christian McCaffrey is that catching out of the backfield. So is Curtis Samuel. Cam Newton is because of his dual-threat ability to run and throw the football from the pocket. Uh, Greg Olson is as a tight end. He can split out. He can, he can play in line. He can do a bunch of different things for their offense. And then D.J. Moore. He's a wide receiver, their first-round pick. He catch the short passes, the wide receiver quick screens, or down the field. So, you know, North Turner has a bunch of different pieces that he can play with, and they've got a bunch of different mismatches against opposing defenses. So I think that's that's an offense that should scare a lot of people because of how they match up, the different things and wrinkles that they can do, minus, you know, mixing in some of the option. But also, to your point, because of their defense, their defense, in particular the secondary, that was more of the question mark, I think, for this team. And they added you know, some, some veteran pieces last year that mixed with the young pieces now are really starting to play some good football. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a couple of fun stats, uh, courtesy of Will Bryan, Panther stats guy. He works in the PR department for Carolina. Um, Carolina leads the league with 41 rushes of 10 yards or more. Very impressive. They also lead the league. And this speaks to your versatile, versatility point. I've been harping on this, uh, for several weeks now, but, um, Carolina's 193 rushing yards by wide receivers are the most in the NFL and already a franchise record for rushing yards by wide receivers, uh, in a season. And then Carolina actually has, uh, the third fewest giveaways in the NFL right now. So they're not turning it over. They're not making Cam Newton hang in the pocket and wait and wait and wait and then try and force a deep ball downfield and take a big shot. He's completing, um, Brady, I think it's up to like, it's, it's up to like, it might be, 66% or something like that. It's, 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 it's above that. It's, um, it's 67.3 now. Because he, he completed, okay. completed 70. I mean, that's insane. Cam Newton was a, came into, he still has a career completion percentage of under 60%. Um, only twice in his career before the season had he completed more than 60% of his passes, 60 on the nose as a rookie, and then, uh, 61.7 in, in 2013. Even his MVP season, 59.8. I mean, this is a guy that, um, is, Norv Turner has unlocked his potential and it's paying huge dividends for the Panthers. Uh, the there's, one, oh, go ahead. There's, there's, there's a couple things off that too, right? So you're talking about unlocking his potential. You know what we're seeing now? He's getting better protection. Yeah. And that's something that is a product of this. When you have a quarterback who can run, and then you demonstrate the ability that you will run him, it changes everything. Because every defensive coordinator is saying, oh, no, now we have to be concerned about letting him out of the pocket. Because once he gets loose, he's going to hurt us running the football. So it changes the way they go about rushing you, in the pa- you know, as a passer. And then also when you you know when you implement some of the option, it simplifies the defenses that you can run. You you, you because everyone's got to be on every single play. They have to be responsible for their you know the pitch guy or the the inside zone guy or the quarterback. Some everyone's got a responsibility for that. So because of that and because they run it enough, where it really puts puts you know puts you on your heels. It simplifies what a defense can do, and it's allowed now the Carolina Panthers' offensive line to be more offensive than really in more of a, a defensive posture when they're always backpedaling, uh, trying to you know trying to help out in, in protection. So it's it's changed, I think, the way teams approach 
this Panthers team because of what North Turner has introduced to this offense. Okay, that's really interesting. That's and, and I got to give you credit too. So my a buddy of mine, uh, Alec Campbell, who's a radio a radio producer uh, here in town in Raleigh, pointed out. He's like, man, I listened to that Brady Quinn pod the other day. It was great stuff. That's the insight you don't get anywhere else. So subscribe, rate, and review, um, and follow Brady on Twitter. When you say you can't run certain defenses. Um, I'm, I'm just guessing here because I, I don't know the answer particularly. But is it like, can you not run like zone blitzes? Do you have because you have to? I mean, like, do you have to keep stuff that is you know keeps integrity on the yeah, so, on the second level? I mean, like, what is it? Yeah, because so so let's say for example, if you run a, a blitz or a zone blitz, as you just asked, what happens is typically if you're bringing let's say the strong side linebacker or so many teams play three wide receiver sets, let's say the the nickel. So if you're bringing the nickel and the, and the Mike linebacker, like your prototypical, they're coming from the field. It's a, it's a, they call that a fire zone, right? So yeah. they're bringing two. Ultimately, you're really rushing five in, in totality, and you're probably going to drop the backside end, right? If you're in a four down front. Yep. So they're rushing five. You're dropping off your backside end into coverage. You still got your three deep shell in the back end. That's your prototypical fire zone blitz. The problem is you're going to slant that defensive line, right, to make up for um, the end dropping so you still maintain your integrity in your, in your run game. But the issue is when you're slanting and moving those guys, you can create creases. And when you're a zone-running team, a lot of times the offensive line will just wash you down. They'll create a cutoff point, and that's when you'll get gashed. And, again, if you're running a zone read, I mean, typically if there's a pitch man off of it, You've got to ensure that, like, if, if you're going to have a blitz zone, you have the Sam Mike blitzing. There's going to be a safety who rotates down to replace the nickel Sam. That guy now becomes your force player. He becomes responsible for the pitch man. So sometimes that can be a tough task on top of just discerning whether or not it's a run or pass. Now you've got to be out there in open space to potentially tackle the pitch guy. Um, or in the case of, of sometimes how they make it work, He's like the little bubble wide receiver that they, they can right. throw off, off of that. So um, it just stresses everything that you do because as a defense, you're always trying to discern if it's run or pass. And then once you decide that, then you have to think about your responsibilities. And what they force you to do is be very specific about what your responsibilities are because if you're not or if you don't know or if you're out of position, they've already got a step on you. And so they're already going to be able to get a big play. Uh, worth noting too that Norv, uh, Norv Turner spoke to Albert Breer of the MMQB on a Monday or Sunday after the game. He's like, now listen, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, now look, like all this stuff I'm running, I ran it with Washington in the nineties. It's not all brand new. Okay. Like I've been doing this for years. Uh, it's just, it is funny to have this 66 year old offensive coordinator that people were panicked about bringing in and not being able to adjust and, and, and he's operating this incredible offense. Um, defensively, for me, the the Minnesota Vikings. I I, th- I know that I know that Detroit's not a a powerhouse offense, but I thought getting Everson Griffin back and having Daniel Hunter really continue to evolve in this season, you could see that coming together for the Vikings against the Lions on Sunday. Um, do you think there's a chance that the Vikings are getting back to being that upper echelon defense now? I, I do. I think they just needed to get Everson Griffin back, so it became. Uh, a point of, of focus for their opponents. I mean, when you've got two guys like Daniel Hunter and, and really the rest when you include their interior defensive linemen, it, it makes it difficult. And, and, and with their secondary, the way they played, I thought they were not very good early on. Then they started to get back together. Now they've kind of settled down again. Um, you've got to have an edge rusher like that because it, it forces the ball out sooner. 
It gives you the opportunity to, to potentially get some picks or turnovers. So all those things, to me, I, I think are solved if you've got a guy like Everson Griffin. So I'm, I'm buying this defense, and I'm buying the Vikings moving forward. Um, I mean, especially with the running game kind of coming on to the past few weeks. So I, I, I think they're going to have a shot. I really do. I think they're going to have a shot for the division and potentially make another run. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how Kirk Cousins plays in playoff time. Like, I, I feel like I trust him during the regular season, especially with his team. But something about it just makes me feel like almost um, like it's like an Andy Dalton primetime thing in the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> like I don't know if I can trust Kirk Cousins on that big stage in the playoffs. Like everything he's doing right now, I'm like, yeah, I expect him to because we've seen it before. But it's it's once he gets in the postseason where mm. I'm more concerned for him. He's de- has he ever won- he's never won a playoff game, right? The only one he no he lost when they went with the Washington Redskins when they won the division. Yeah, they they lost the they lost the Rodgers and the Packers at the time. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think he had. Um, what about uh, coaching hot seat? We mentioned Jason Garrett who. Uh, is I don't think we'll get fired before the end of the year. Do you think there's any chance that Vance Joseph gets fired before the end of the year? Uh, John Elway did come out on Monday night and say, nah, we're not really feeling a change right now. But, man, I mean, the the clock management at the end of that first half and at the end of the uh, of regulation by Vance Joseph was just horrific. How How can you possibly play for a 51-yard field goal when you have a timeout in your pocket and more than, like, 45 seconds on the clock? That is malpractice. Yeah, inexplicable. Uh, th- these are the issues that you, you run into when you hire a first-time head coach. I mean, and really one that hadn't even called defense, I think, for more than one year with yeah. the Miami Dolphins, and they weren't very good. I mean, I, I don't know how you felt about the hire initially, I was shocked, and the only thing I could throw it up to was John Elway's got a pretty big ego. He's going to be the type of guy that wants to hire a coach that he can control, mm-hmm. and, and that's the situation they find themselves in. And now, unfortunately, because John Elway hasn't necessarily been able to hit on some of his draft picks, on some of his selections uh, in free agency for this team, now they find themselves a, a losing team with a 3-6 and six record, and nowhere really to look besides 2019. I mean, that, that's where this team is at. And, and it's tough because they've got some incredible pieces on defense. It's just not enough to ultimately make the difference in the game. I mean, Case Keenum, I thought, played pretty well this past week. Maybe had some of his best moments um, since he's been a Denver Bronco. And it still wasn't enough for this team. So I think the writing's on the wall for Vance Joseph. I think eventually he'll be fired probably before the end of the season. Uh, you hate saying that. I mean, this is a you know th- these are guys who've got families and this is their job and livelihood. But uh, the unfortunate reality is, I think John Elway is going to start to feel the heat because he's pointing the finger enough places where he can only point at himself now with some of the decisions that he's made, and he's going to have to make some tough decisions because he's he's going to have to go back to the draft again this year or the off season, <laughs> and he's going to have to either try to find someone else's uh, trash, if you will, that they didn't want as their quarterback. Or draft one of these quarterbacks uh, from a, from a you know draft class that's not even close to what last year's class was. Yeah, I mean it's a weird thing for them because the Browns taking Bradley Chubb. If that had happened, it really might have been the best thing in the world for the Broncos because they would have been forced to either trade out, I mean, trade out and add more picks, well, you, or to, or to just take Josh, Josh Rosen. Allen, you yeah. still had Josh Rosen. I mean, and he, even then, he was in striking distance of being able to trade up if he wanted to. Well, to no, no, they had, but no, they had a deal in place with the Bills. They were going to move out and let the Bills trade up to get Josh Allen if Chubb didn't fall to him at five. That's that's the crazy thing to me is like they just felt fine with Case Keenum moving forward and. 
it's really weird. Like Tom Finelli, our, our, our colleague at CBS jokes about this, but it, I think he jokes. Um, his theory is that John Elway wants to make sure that there's never a quarterback who can like be, who can be, be better than him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, like it, it, it's, it's funny. I mean, it, I don't know that it will ever be a quarterback who ends his career the way John Elway did. Um, no. but I think ultimately for this team's success, they they needed to go with one of the studs in this past year's class. And I know it looks bleak right now for that group when you look at the situations that Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Josh Allen are in. But I still like the upside and optimism of the future. I could care less about what people think about them right now. They all, to me, have shown at times flashes of what they're capable of. It's just about those organizations getting their crap together and then giving them enough uh, to be able to be the successful quarterbacks that I think they can be. Um, well, all right, so on, on those guys, let's talk about them real, real quickly because you are clearly a, a highly drafted quarterback in the, in the NFL. You didn't um, – you – because you, but you didn't play until really your second year, right? I mean, like second the, year, yeah, because yeah, a little bit my rookie year at the end. But yeah, yeah, but I mean, because like Derek Anderson, your buddy Da, blacked out and had a Pro Bowl season and and, and yeah. an incredible run. I mean, the 07 uh, Browns. Um, how hard is the transition from like? Just how how difficult is it outside of not just being on the field and playing, but really picking everything up, moving from college to the pros? And what what about what you're seeing from Sam Darnold right now? Because because people this is this is when it's easy for people to jump on Sam Darnold, and be like, I right, threw four picks, he looks like crap. Uh, you know, the, did the Jets make a mistake? Maybe maybe the Giants were right after all. And it, it, it does feel like we're rushing uh, these guys a little bit right now. Of course, but that's what we do, and then we sit there and look at you know, why they have these deficiencies later on. It's because we don't actually allow them to go through a process of building them up to be the franchise quarterback they can be or could be. You know, we we draft them, we rush them before they're ready because the organization can't sustain going through with another veteran or can't handle losing a few games, and, and that's that's unfortunately what we do. So we put them in there before they're ready. Uh, with each one of them, I mean, Baker Mayfield, I think he's shown the ability, much like we saw in college, he's an accurate passer. When he gets outside the pocket, he can be dangerous. But at the NFL level, you have to play for the pocket. And when he does have to do that, he struggles sometimes being accurate and, and making good decisions. Sam Darnold, you, know, you mentioned the interceptions. For starters, he threw four this week. One was on a fourth down play. So, you know, you had to try to take a chance to do something. There was, you know, two others, or at least one other that I wouldn't necessarily put on him. And he has no help out around him. I mean, if you were to switch the Browns receiving group and with Sam Darnold, what he has the Jets, uh, I could guarantee it would look a little bit different than what it looks like on a week-to-week basis. They just don't have many weapons to throw to. Uh, And and it's unfortunate because there's not much of a running game. They don't have a great defense. So he's put in a position, much like he was his last year at USC, where he's got a bad team out around him, and he feels the pressure to try to make something happen and try to win ball games. And so you have to take chances in that case. The unfortunate part is it ends up looking bad for him in his rookie year. So hopefully the Jets can get their act together. With uh, Josh Allen, I mean, that, that Bills team is as, as bad as it gets. And it's unbelievable how bad like, the talent is around. Are, are you are you worried it's about so the... bad that it's better that he's not playing right mm. now. Give him a redshirt year, just get to 2019, mm. and and figure it out. But my my concern for them him long term is I don't know that Sean McDermott knows how to manage the quarterback position. Mm. I mean, like this is all pretty telling what's happening this year of how Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have handled the entire quarterback room. That the way they handled AJ McCarron, the way they handled Tyrod Taylor, 
the way they hand, I mean, they've, they've, they're, they're the reason why they're in this position right now. Yep. So they have no one else uh, to blame but themselves for that. And then Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen, to me, has shown, uh, shown me a lot of things that I think that are going to be successful in the future. It's just about, again, giving him more talent out around him. Um, you know, the connection with Christian Kirk is real, and it's going to be fun to watch for years to come. The protection needs to be better. They can't run the football at all, which is shocking because you would think that David Johnson at this point in his career would still be effective, but it's not the case. And their defense has been pretty disappointing too. So, um, you know, all in all, all those quarterbacks aren't in teams in bad situations. And then even Lamar Jackson, as we see him more and more, um, kind of intermittently throughout the course of a game, the Baltimore Ravens defense is starting to fall by the wayside. So it's just like nothing's really working out for any of these quarterbacks that were taken in the first round. All right, uh, one more thing before you mention the Ravens. John Harbaugh and Mike McCarthy are two names – uh, Super Bowl winning head coaches who, you know, it's been a while since they've won, but I mean, they, they did what they did win Super Bowls and they are both considered to be on the hot seat. Do you think it is fair that, that the Ravens and the, the Packers would consider moving on for them? And do you think it's smart? Um, fair? I, I don't know. I mean, it's nothing's really fair in the NFL. Right, you know, fair. fair is what you pay to get on the bus, man. So, <laughs> That's a good uh, as, as far as John Harbaugh goes, He's won a Super Bowl. He's been successful. It's been a while, though, where they've had some sort of success. They've been in the playoffs one uh, time since he won that Super Bowl. Right. And and that's where you have to look at and say, they, maybe they just need to get someone else in there. I mean, Steve Mashadi talked about, you know, contemplating firing him last year. I mean, how many owners come out and say that publicly? Mm. Um, so that was kind of bizarre. And, and Eric Dacosta is going to take over as the general manager, so maybe he wants to have – some new blood in there, a new head coach, someone that he feels more comfortable with uh, than John Harbaugh. Harbaugh. And it, it seems like things are set up to try to start a rebuild. So um, that one seems kind of likely, depending on how the season finishes out for Baltimore. And if their defense continues to struggle like this, it's not going to be good. I can't see Mike McCarthy getting fired after this year. I, I'm still a strong believer, especially with um, the, the schedule the rest of the way for the Green Bay Packers. Like I'm still a believer that this team can turn around and, you know, win the division or maybe be there for, like, a, a fighting for a wild-card spot. I mean, think about the, their slate of games the rest of the way. Um, they got to go play Miami. Mm-hmm. Then they have to go to Seattle. Tough place to play. And back-to-back weeks of the road, they have to go to Minnesota. That'll be tough. But then Arizona, they got at home. The Falcons come to their place. Again, good football team right now with where they're at, but I, I think they can win that one at home. They go to Chicago. They go to New York Jets. They finish with the Lions. I mean, th- th- that should be three wins to finish out the season. And, and this might be a team that you look at a little bit differently sneaking into the playoffs, uh, much like they did their Super Bowl year, where they got hot, they had to be hot, they got on a run, and they ended up winning a, a Lombardi trophy. So they're a team that I, I think if they make it in the playoffs and they make a run, how could you fire Mike McCarthy at that point? I mean, this isn't like a Marty Schottenheimer deal um, where there's a, a huge disagreement with ownership or anything like that. Right, yeah. He's not he's not fighting with the uh, the shareholders down in the streets. He's even got his he's not he's not down on the he's not down on Mike McCarthy way fighting with fighting with the shareholders about uh about his about his own name. I, I, Does he have his own street? Yeah, yeah. He got his own Mike McCarthy way. I don't wow. think Yeah, it's like right I mean, after Can you really fire a coach that has his own street? I, it's pretty nuts, right. I mean I, I this is a good point by you on that schedule. I, I just hadn't looked at the head and gone that far out on the Packers schedule, but they should beat the Dolphins at home this week pretty handily. I would expect that that would be a double-digit win. Um, if you steal one in Seattle or one in Minnesota, all of a sudden you go with your last five games, Arizona at home, Atlanta at <laughs> home. You win them all. Right, but that feels like 
doesn't that feel like an R E L A X like like air, 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 air here comes Rogers and he's just he's doing that thing where he's going down the stretch and he's just carving up the league. I mean those because like the Bears defense is good, but the other defenses are 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 like you can slaughter. I mean like you can take him out to take him out of the woodshed. So I could see them winning the final five games and then all of a sudden yeah, it's a good point. All right, so I mean, maybe maybe this is a. Uh... And by the way, he's having a ridiculous season. Like we haven't really talked about him this year, just because he's been hampered by an injury and all that. But I mean, he's having a, a pretty darn good year when you look at the stats or, or statistically speaking. Fifteen touchdowns to to one interception. That's good. His completion percentage is down, and and, and there's you know he mentioned that like things aren't really clicking. You, and you notice in the fourth quarter, you know, when, when Tom Brady goes six for six in the fourth quarter and they, they end up, you know, turning that fumble uh, from Aaron Jones into seven points, they kind of just pull away. You notice that they're like, man, this is weird. Like, it's not the normal Green Bay Packers offense we're seeing. And I think it's just because they've got some new pieces that are it's still taking time. I mean, Jimmy Graham has been in more involved the past three or four weeks. About his scantling has kind of gotten in the mix more. But, I mean, he's a rookie. So nice player, it's, it's just – there's been some growing pains, you know? Yeah. Uh, all right, so, like, on that final fourth and four play against the Patriots, why aren't they running, a, like, some kind of mesh route? Like, why Like why would you not have any anybody there's, over the middle? I mean, am I, am I missing something there? Is that just a – No, no, and, and there's a lot of questions I think you could make about the Packers offense, and why don't they do things more um, formationally, you know, creating more, you yeah. know, more shifts, more bunches, more motion involved, uh, more empty, utilizing different personnel groups. I'm still shocked they don't use more 13 personnel. They're starting to run the football more, but when you put three tight ends, and they've got three good tight ends, right? Lewis, Kendricks, and Jimmy Graham. When you put all three of those guys in the field at the same time, it demands that a defense puts their base personnel, if not big personnel, in the field. And once you do that, you have mismatches all over the place. They don't do that. I have no idea why. You can put Devontae Adams as your only single receiver, put Jones, Williams, whoever you want in the backfield to run the football, and you could literally pick apart in defense doing that because you're going to have one-on-one coverage to Adams or one-on-one coverage to Jimmy Graham or whoever else. Mm-hmm. And if not, if they, if they want to try to double someone, guess what? You should have the numbers to run the football. So, you know, it's things like that that they don't do, and I don't know if that's on Mike McCarthy or if that – is something that Aaron Rodgers doesn't feel comfortable with. I mean, I'm not in those meeting rooms, and that's sometimes how it goes. But it's it is tough to really comprehend how they're not able to be more successful offensively uh, with some of the personnel that they have now. And it seems like there's just a lack of creativity, especially when you walk, watch the teams like the Patriots. I mean, you look at what they're doing with the flea flickers and the double passes and Cordell Patterson. You know, I mean, yeah, him in the backfield is running back. I mean. Well, they, they had that guy. They just traded him away when Ty Montgomery. But um, <laughs> that's right. <they're> <laughs> RIP there. Um, so you know, it, it's 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 just a lack of creativity, and you see it from other teams, and they're able to kind of maximize their ability with it. And for whatever reason, the Packers haven't done that. It's crazy because you just you feel like if you put Aaron Rodgers in, and Tom Brady said it, you put Aaron Rodgers in Josh McDaniels' system or or Sean McVay's system, and he would just. Just complete 90% of his passes for 7,000 yards a game. All right, he's Brady Quinn. Maybe not that much. Uh, he's Brady Quinn. He appears on the show every week. You can watch him on CBS Sports HQ, CBSSports.com. And don't forget live. to get your stocking stuffer, right? Remember the, the Bildos. We'll, we're going to sell them <laughs> online. Um, Christmas isn't too far away, uh, so make sure that don't don't forget. I would, pick, pick them up. Would you, if I make uh, Bildos with Frisco's face on them, like Prisco, where he's like flexing, like. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, all right, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get myself fired in this one. That's fine. <laughs> uh, all right, Brady, always a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good.